We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Podcast Network, or maybe you're listening on the Finding Freedom Podcast feed. Whichever way you're tuning in, I appreciate your time, and uh, you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Really interesting conversation. Of course, just to go back to talk about the difference between the Lions of Liberty Network and the Finding Freedom feed. Of course, with the network, you get all of our shows. You get Mark's show on Monday, Brian's on Wednesday, and mine on Thursday. With the Finding Freedom feed, you get just this show every Thursday, um, plus some bonuses um, whenever I get around to, uh, to adding those in. But of course, you can find my Finding Freedom feed by uh, searching Finding Freedom. If it doesn't come up or if there's other shows out there, because there are a couple other shows with the same name, Finding Freedom, which uh, I should sue them, but uh, I I probably won't. What you can do is just search John Odermatt, Finding Freedom. It'll pop up. Subscribe. Listen. Leave a five-star review. Leave me a nice little, uh, little comment there, and uh, I'll read it on the air if you do that. That's the deal. So, I don't want to waste time because I got a great interview today. I want to get right into it. Let's get to the show. Okay, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride with uh, with one of you, with one of the Lions of Liberty Pride members, Jacob Winograd, not Winograd. I mispronounced that the first time I ever tried. But uh, if you've listened to my show, you've probably heard uh, some some ads, some uh, advertisements for, for his podcast. It's a great podcast called Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And I wanted to have Jacob on to talk about his journey to liberty, his journey um, into becoming a Christian, how the two meld together, and uh, really dig into some of the topics that he talks about on his show. So, Jacob, welcome to Finding Freedom. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh a uh, longtime uh, follower of the Pride, and uh, uh, it's pretty cool to uh, be on one of these for once instead of on the uh, watching end. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And we do have a couple people watching along as we're broadcasting live, like I said. So if you all have any questions uh, for Jacob, feel free to to drop them in the comments, and I'll try to ask them. Um, but let's let's just get started off with introductions, really for you. So let's start off with with the podcast. When you tell people that you have a podcast and they say, what's it about? How do you explain it? Sure. Yeah. So I do a podcast, as you mentioned, uh, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And uh, the the genesis of that podcast was really, you know, after I became uh, a libertarian, you know, kind of, you know, a a Rothbardian, Misesian, you know, anarcho-capitalist, I kind of had a sense that there was a deep misunderstanding of like political philosophy and the state uh, in like the modern day church. And so I started sort of a then uh, 
theological journey back to the Bible to sort of re-explore uh, like political presuppositions and and whatnot, and to try to hopefully at least see if you know libertarian philosophy was at least compatible with the Bible. Um, uh, what I actually came away with was not just a sense of compatibility, but more so a conviction that uh, really the Bible has been tragically misunderstood, and there's so many. Uh, scriptures and passages that have been, uh, you know, really throughout history twisted by different regimes to mm-hmm. to sort of, uh, you know, push their narrative. But but really that the original narrative of the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, and, and uh, of course, uh, you know, none greater than the the gospel story and the example that Jesus gave us, that these things are not just compatible with libertarianism, but but are necessarily um, you know, promoting uh, a message of at least libertarianism towards the state and towards, uh, you know, human structures and kingdoms of men. And so, you know, I just felt this strong conviction that, like, it, it's so unfortunate that, you know, you know, so many of us in the liberty movement, you know, we, we think of, you know, right-wing Christian evangelicals and, you know, we associate uh, them with you know maybe sometimes okay they they want lower taxes but but they're pushing these mm-hmm. the, these wars and they're pushing the, the the war on drugs and the government being more involved in people's lives and trying to legislate morality and so I just felt this conviction to be like you know I, I there, there's already some some great you know Christian libertarian podcasts out there but you know that's kind of a niche and I was just like hey I want to join in I want to try to you know in my own spheres of, of influence in my community and. Uh, in my own way and style, uh, just you know, keep pushing that Overton window um, in the the world of Christendom to um, promote libertarian ideas and to show again how uh, not just the compatibility, but I think the the necessary uh, conclusion one gets from a consistent exegesis of Scripture um, is really a libertarian political philosophy, as well as to you know at least maybe a secondary thing is to you know, normalize the idea within the liberty movement that Christians don't have to be statists. Um, And as well, you know, for people who aren't religious, I always tell them, you know, you can view the stories in the Bible as, you know, things that you can learn from in the same way that you can study Greek mythology or you can study really any piece of literature and find, you know, archetypical truths within them. So you don't necessarily have to be a religious person to to I think find value from the the biblical stories and the ways in which you know I, I try to you know connect all these different themes. So that's that's pretty much it. It's funny with uh, with libertarians when you talk to libertarians, um, we talk to an atheist libertarian. They'll say, "Well, everyone in the libertarian movement's a Christian. There's so many Christians in the movement." And you talk to a Christian libertarian. There's so, everyone who's libertarian is an atheist. Right. So it's, all, it's this weird perspective how people don't see; they just see the the opposition um, or the, the the difference of of really belief or faith um, than really seeing the the like mindedness, which is just sort of a an interesting dilemma, I guess. But now I'm curious to find out: Did you become a, a Christian first or a libertarian first? So I've, I've- I've pretty much been a Christian my whole life. Uh, I'm sort of a I'm a pastor kid, so anyone who's a pastor kid knows okay. sort of what that uh, what that sort of um, situation brings. You know, I, I kind of did the stereotypical you know rebellion in my youth. Um, I wouldn't say I ever identified as an atheist, but I I certainly had a, a portion of time where I wasn't really pursuing God or pursuing uh, you know my, my religious convictions with with any sort of effort to 
pray or study the Bible or, or really care about going to church regularly. But, you know, as I matured and then I got married and started having kids, you know, that that uh, that changed <laughs> and the uh, call to, to be more responsible and to kind of come back to, you know, a, a recommitment to to God came. And um, so, yeah, I was I was a Christian for kind of been, you know, loosely a Christian my whole life. Um, you know, matured more into, I think, a more deeper understanding of, of God uh, as an adult. You know, it, it, it's sometimes hard when you're a pastor's kid. It's just kind of like, I don't know, there's, just, there's certain dynamics about that, which are kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I was a Christian first. And then um, I actually uh, come from more of the political left. Like I was raised in an evangelical right wing household, but I hated all that. <laughs> and I didn't know there was another way. So I kind of was like, well, I don't like conservatism. Um, and I've always kind of been anti-war, just just sort of like temperamentally. Like I always, you know, like I, I remember, uh, you know, kind of in my teenage years seeing the uh, kind of the, the, the wool come off of the nation's eyes as far as like the war of Iraq and like, Afghanistan right. and all that. And, and just kind of, you know, seeing, um, you know, all the all the. The, the the terror and the harm that we had caused them like we're, the war on terror and really it's like um the, the americans are american military is the one doing most of the terrorism um right. so uh i i just kind of got this like you know bad taste in my mouth for conservatism and didn't know really anything about libertarianism i had heard about you know ron paul was kind of uh you know becoming a thing when i was like late in high school and i was like on the speech and debate team so i was into politics but i never really gave him a, an honest shake because it just didn't didn't work out that way. Um, so I kind of fell in with the political left. Um, like 2015, I was a avid Bernie Sanders supporter um, and and pushed for him. Uh, unfortunately, voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Kind of kind of reluctantly. Um, I was just I I, I bought into the uh, propaganda that Trump was going to be more of a warmonger than she was. Which in hindsight, like say what you want about Trump, but you know, kind of a. Yeah, at the very least, that's I think kind of a silly assumption to make. So, so I'm, I'm <laughs> curious. Um, so, when you were on the political left, where did you typically get your get your news from? So, I would listen to like the Young Turks, uh, you know, some, some mainstream stuff. But I, I was always kind of skeptical of the mainstream narrative. So, I I was always looking into alternative media. I liked the Young Turks back in the day. Uh, I watched you know, Joe Rogan, and he used to kind of have more left of center people on a lot and still does. Um, uh, you know, I, I watched, I watched and listened to like Vox and, and, and things like that. Um, there, there's a David Pakman was another guy I was uh, big into a uh, couple others. Can't quite remember, but that's, yeah, I kind of mostly alternative media. I didn't necessarily, you know, I, I always, I've always had like that anti-authoritarian streak in me. Like I never really trusted anything mainstream. Um, so I've always been, you know, a, a bit dissident, no matter where I was. So, was it a a moment or something? What happened that that triggered your personal, you know, yeah? I'm so, part of it, moment, but you know, yeah. wake up to wake up to liberty. So, it was sort of a journey that started with the 2016 election with Trump, because like. I bought into all the fear mongering about him, right? Like, I, like mm-hmm. he gets elected, and like my wife is like, you know, are we okay? Like, you know, like like thinking like all the doomsday things that people have said about him are about to happen. Well, then, like the entire year of his first year of his presidency passes, and I'm just like, wait, this is kind of more of the same. <laughs> like, it doesn't really make any sense. And then the the derangement syndrome around Trump. 
uh, really push the left as we see, like, you know, especially today, that's kind of uh, come that's really evolved into something horrific. Mm -hmm. But that started with Trump in 2016 and the left started going um, way more radical, way more like even like like doubling and tripling down on identity politics and this cancel culture stuff. And I think my Christian upbringing always made me a bit resistant to that stuff. I, I kind of got into it a little bit, but never too heavy. And then when they started to get just, you know, rabid with, with all that, it, it just no longer like it no longer fit me. And I kind of uh, discovered Dave Rubin around then. And he kind of was having a similar experience of the whole, like uh, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. So I kind of then was more kind of center, moderate, homeless kind of political person. And I started being more open to talking to right of center people. Um, and then I uh, just kind of started like, like binging different podcasts, trying to learn more about different political points of view. And uh, through, I think through Dave Rubin and watching Joe Rogan, uh, I just stumbled upon one day a, uh, oh, Sam Cedar was also someone I used to listen to. And so yeah. I found a debate between Sam Cedar and Dave Smith on libertarianism which was interesting and that kind of like was the first first time i ever heard someone really offer compelling economic mm -hmm. arguments against uh sort of like the bernie sanders like uh um democratic socialist per perspectives on on you know economic disparities and the the economic collapse of 2008 and, and all these you know social programs that i i thought were necessary and you know, so Dave Smith was the first one I heard that offered kind of a compelling case. I started so, looking so more into that like, and then... Sorry to interrupt, but so, because um, honestly, most of the people I talk to who come to, you know, understand the ideas of liberty do come from the right. It's not often that I do have someone on from the left, so I have questions about it. <laughs> so w when did you first, did you first learn about the Federal Reserve and, you know, monetary inflation through Dave Smith yes. there? Was that, was that yes, the first that was time, like was the first time those ideas really came up? Um, and then I started, so then I like, I think I did a search of like Dave Smith Federal Reserve, and then like conversations between him and Tom Woods came up. So then that really got me, you know, down the, the rabbit hole of all that. And then it was like very rapidly then after I discovered that, and I was like, this was like 2018, I want to say. Um, uh, I started to really get into libertarian economics and um, cause I started to realize all of the things I cared about as a lefty, like income inequality, corporate bailouts, bank bailouts, economic instability, um, and also always kind of being anti-war and against like the war on drugs and all that. Um, I started to realize like, wow, like the federal reserve and the government control over currency is like what empowers the government to do all of the worst things that it does that I hate. And also, like, I don't know, it just like it just clicked with me that like, OK, yeah, the reason the rich keep getting so much richer and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is disappearing. Like, it's not because people um, the magic's coming magically from nowhere. The, ma the, the money is coming from the Federal Reserve. And this is almost like an intentional Ponzi scheme set up by 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 those in power. And, and so, you know, it's not like the things I cared about changed. I just got information i had never received before to more accurately understand the problem because when you're on the left I, I don't think you can accurately understand the problem you just kind of i mean unless you are like just you have to blame everything on capitalism and capitalism is just the big bad you know boogeyman 
Um, but when you start listening to libertarians talk about like, you know, um, that sort of like Misesian idea, like, okay, well, uh, the, the idea of like economic price calculation and like, you know, if we don't have a free market, well, how do you, you know, central planning doesn't work. It, it just over like a six month period and talking to libertarians online and stuff who were giving me, you know, Mises, Rothbard, you know, all that. Um, yeah, I just kind of transformed into uh, more of a Rothbardian libertarian. And um, I met some local guys from the Mises caucus and they sort of, you know, finished my, my indoctrination. <laughs> so, so, to speak. so you were, so, you were somebody who, when you, you know, met, ran across someone on the internet and said, can you explain this to me? And they said, here, go read this book. You went and read the book. Yes. Actually, yes. <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm an oddity. I'm someone who has had their mind changed by arguing with people on the internet. I'm also someone from the political left who people either from the Mises caucus or like associated with the Mises caucus uh, recruited to libertarianism, which is Mm -hmm. I told I told I had Dave Smith on my podcast like back in uh, April. And I told him I was like, it's it's always so funny when people go after him and Tom is like, these guys are just trying to do this alt right to libertarian pipeline or whatever. And they don't you know, I was just like, I don't know, like. I know a lot of people who kind of have that more left to center background like me who kind of came to the, the LP and the Mises caucus and were influenced by, uh, by, by people in that, in that sphere, at least, even if they aren't directly, you know, in the caucus. Yeah. I I wouldn't say I even, I don't know if I know anybody who's come to libertarianism from the alt-right and I don't even know if the alt-right really exists anymore. It doesn't as a political movement. I mean, it had its, its moment of, uh, of, of time a few years ago, but it's, it's kind of just disappeared. Well, if we're but, a bunch of Trump nationalists, it's kind of weird that we're trying to pull votes away from the Republican Party, but yeah. that's a whole separate topic. <laughs> so to, to dig into Christianity and libertarianism, um, I've heard you talk about, I think you talked about it here in the beginning of the show, where you, you started to see the ideas, common ideas, common values in each of them. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about some of those overlaps and what you did to, to explore and, and connect the dots? Yeah, sure. So I think what started, and this is sort of like everyone who starts to look into any sort of like, what does the Bible talk about politics? Like they're going to be directed to sort of like key passages that are, that, that Christians have historically used to justify the idea of like the state um, or like monopolistic, you know, civil governance. So that's kind of where I started because I wanted to see like, you know, I think my motivation was, well, are there any loopholes that I can find in these passages? But, but that was, it, it was kind of encouraging to me early on that when I went to these passages, not only were they not incompatible with libertarianism, I thought they were actually, um, when you understood them in their original context, they were preaching libertarianism. So uh, what I like to start with is Romans 13. And this is sort of like the boogeyman of, you know, like, you know, why Christians can't be libertarians. And, and it's going to be, uh, you know, Romans 13, you know, bashed over your head endlessly. Um, and, and when you go and read Romans 13 and, you know, Romans 13 doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like it, it was written in a, as an entire letter that Paul wrote. Mm-hmm. So what happens immediately before Romans 13 is important. The context is in Romans 12, Paul is sort of echoing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and saying, like, to, to summarize that, you know, God 
um, with God rests the final judgment of people and he brings vengeance on the wicked. And that's not our job. Our, you know, our job is sort of like to turn the other cheek to love, not just our neighbors, but to love our enemies um, and to, you know, not to, to not be overcome by the, the evil oppression uh, of people who who are trying to do harm and to try to like you know meet fire with fire and overcome e- you know darkness with darkness, but rather that um, you know only light can drive out darkness and we're supposed to overcome um, evil with good. Um, mm-hmm. So Romans thirteen then goes and talks about civil governance in that context because like the natural question someone would have to what Paul is talking about in Romans twelve is okay, well, well, are we just supposed to roll over and let bad people kill everybody and steal from everybody and just kind of be like, oh, well, thank you, sir. Can I have another? And just, <laughs> and just, and just let evil abound. Um, and so Paul clarifying that, no, there is supposed to be uh, those who, um, and, and the, the, the original Greek here is the uh, hyper acousia, which basically means the higher or godly authorities so it's important to start out like God's not using like Paul wasn't using a word that would describe the state. He's talking he's using a generic term godly or heavenly authorities mm-hmm. and and they are um he's not ordained. talking about the the modern context of right. political authority. Yeah. yeah, you know what's funny, some people forget this is that um contrary to some evangelical Christian beliefs, the Bible was not written in English. <laughs> you have to actually go back and understand a little bit of Greek and a little bit of the cultural context yeah. it was written in. Um, but yeah, so uh, the godly authorities um, are ordained by God for the administration of civil governance. And what that means, and it goes on to explain what this means. Mm-hmm. He says, those uh, they are ministers of God for your good. If you do good, you have nothing to fear from those who are in authority. But if you do evil, beware, for they do not bear the sword in vain. Um, so, and, you know, and it expounds upon that to say that, uh, you know, those who, who do good uh, continue to do good and they will be protected from uh, those who do evil. So it's like, okay, so God is describing that there are people who will be ordained to exercise godly authority to administer justice. Well, libertarians are not against the idea of administering justice against those who would violate the rights of others, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not like we're not the the uh, misunderstood or like the often troped idea of what anarchy is, where it's just like no rules and anything goes, right? You know, and yeah, we're, those we're of us not who are out there saying that you should just be allowed to murder your neighbor, right? Um, exactly. I don't think so libertarians we're not advocating for that, right? Like we're not we're not against rules, right? So. So right away, it's like, okay, well, what should the people who are in governance do then to ad- administer those rules? And it's very clear here. It says that those who are in godly uh, positions of godly authority are not a terror to those who do good. So Romans 13 is, is not describing every state or every institution of human governance that's ever existed, right? Because that would make no sense. Like to call... Uh, Nazi Germany, um, a minister of God for your good and not a terror to those who do good is, is just a non sequitur. Like it just doesn't, mm-hmm. that's not even, that's not even a coherent sentence. Um, and we have examples in the Bible of Jews and Christians who disobeyed 
people in authority, right? Like, so like, uh, they on my podcast, Daniel three, Meshach, Radshak, and Abednego refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, um, and they were thrown in a uh, a, f- a fire and preserved by God uh, for their their obedience and their refusal to bow down to anyone but God. Uh, they were, you know, that that was a a, a law that was passed by the the Bab- you know Babylonian king by the the state quote unquote and they they disobeyed it so clearly the limit that god puts on those on, on authority is that they are to use their authority to only go after those who would initiate force against others it's not to be it, it, the minute you are this is basically a proof text in Romans 13 is descri- is is not describing what the state is it is prescribing the biblical norms for civil governance, which is that, well, go after those who do evil and leave the good people alone. So anytime there's any entity, whether it's a state, whether it's, uh, you know, polycentric anarcho-capitalist government, like God is, Paul, God through Paul is basically saying like, listen, yeah, there are rules, but go after the evil people and restrain them from going and victimizing people and protect good people. And also in the context of Romans 12, like we cannot take on the evil that we are trying to oppose. So if your idea of stopping those who do evil is to yourself use evil against them. So it's like, oh, uh, you know how we should stop people from stealing? We should steal 20% of the wealth from the entire country to create a standing um, army of people with guns who will quote unquote protect your property, but really they won't show up till after a crime is committed and they'll enforce all of our rules. And no, by the way, if you don't pay this extortion uh, and then you refuse to pay the fine, they'll come to detain you and arrest you at the point of a gun. Like, no, you've, you've become an extortion racket. You've become those who do evil (laughs) in the name of doing good. And this is not only antithetical to Romans 13. It's actually, uh, in my opinion, it's a second commandment violation because you're taking the name of God and you're taking the name of justice in vain um, when you, when you do so. So, you know, all it takes is reading these verses, these, these passages in context and seeing that, you know, really there's nothing there that's in violation of, of libertarian ideas of political structures and, and authority. Like we're not, we're not anti-authority. We're not anti-law and order. We're just saying that those who are in authority are, held to the same rules and standards as us and they can't initiate force against peaceful people there's nothing in romans 13 or the rest of the bible that comes in the conflict with that but and that's a but that's a good example to start with because it's yeah. supposed to be the haymaker against our position but really in my opinion it's almost like the strongest argument in favor of ours i i agree and, and the way you explained that i think i think was fantastic but another haymaker that someone might throw is um, render unto Under Caesar the, what is out. Caesar's, <laughs> and render unto yes. God's what is God's. So, what, what's your what's your response or, or your dis- description um, mm-hmm. of the, of the biblical text back back on that? So, I actually have a whole podcast episode I did like yeah, please, a month please and a plug, half ago. Please plug your podcast. Um, where we've talked about this. Too. Yeah. So, um, for for like a very full detailed explanation, go to uh, Daniel three biblical anarchy. I f- I forget the episode number, but it's part of my series, which is uh, entitled Austrian Economics in the Bible. And send, send me the link, and we'll. I mean, I'll have it on the show notes page for this for people. To yeah, find you yeah. I'll send you the link. 
Um, so, so yeah, render unto Caesar. So, um, I drew a little bit from, there's actually a good article, which we can plug this to, and I plug this in my episode, um, on Mises.org that actually goes into this a little bit. But to set the stage, the Pharisees uh, brought up a trap for Jesus, right? Because the Pharisees hated Jesus. They're, they're trying to find any way they can to basically, like, throw him into the arms of the Romans to have him killed mm-hmm. or to have him discredited completely among the Jewish people. So um, back then, I think you remember when you're reading the New Testament, if you've gone through it, how people would complain about Jesus and say he hangs out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, mm-hmm. which, well, first of all, I always love how all three of those are thrown in like like the same thing. It's just like the, the sinners and the prostitutes. Okay, but but Jesus, the tax collectors, you hang out with tax collectors. Yeah, it's, they- it's too There's far. a verse where the the tax collector I think I think is is referred to as the worst of, yes. of all three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, so so yeah. So the reason for this is because the Jewish people um, had a very libertarian view actually of like the Roman Empire. They viewed them as uh, like false authority, as uh, claiming to be you know like Caesar claimed to be divine so he was claiming to be god and they viewed that entire government as illegitimate and the idea of paying tribute to caesar was to the jewish people an act of idolatry and like to do that was actually like you you would discredit yourself among the 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 religious jews so they go to jesus with this question of um you know should you pay tribute to caesar and their idea is they've, they've trapped him, right? Because he has no choice but to answer the question, either by answering what he knows to be the correct religious Jewish answer on this, and by saying so out loud, they will be able to then show the Romans, like, see, he's saying that your authority is illegitimate, and people shouldn't pay their tributes to you, which will get him in trouble with the Romans and locked up. Or he will have to find some way to say that you should, pay tribute to Caesar, in which case he's now discredited himself as someone who's um, you know, simping for the the oppressors. Uh, his answer is like a beautiful uh, like cutting through the bullshit answer and answers the question without getting him in trouble. It's like the only kind of it, it's, it's an answer that only someone either as smart as Jesus or divine as Jesus could really come up with in the moment. Because he says... Like, like almost mocking them. He's like, like, come on now. Like, show me, like, bring me, bring me a coin. Okay. A, a Daenerys is what he says. Bring me a Daenerys. That's what, the, that's what people who did business with the Romans used to pay tribute to Caesar. And so the fair, one of the Pharisees brings out a Daenerys, not realizing this exposes the Pharisees as someone who's doing business with the Roman empire and paying tribute to the Roman empire. You didn't have a Daenerys unless you were paying tribute to the Roman Empire mm-hmm. at some point. So already Jesus has exposed them just, just there. But he says, so whose who's face is on this coin? And they say Caesar's. So then Jesus hands it back and he says, all right, so render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. And then like the, the passage ends with the Pharisees going like, and astounded by his answer, they just walked away <laughs> in, in anger. So Clearly, the Pharisees could not have taken his answer to, to mean, for starters, like, if, if that answer means pay tribute to Caesar, the Pharisees wouldn't have been walked, walking away upset. Mm-hmm. They would have been like, ha, we got him. 
But no, they knew that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, listen, if you're going to do get in bed, if you're going to get in bed with the devil, if you're going to do business with Rome, well, that's your own choice. So if you decide to, you know, and this is kind of like, you know, th- through um, the New Testament, it's often repeated, like, to pay tribute to whom tribute is owed and taxes to whom taxes is owed. But But the idea behind that was, like, if you go and you use some sort of service, you shouldn't be a freeloader and use that service for free. You should pay what you're owed. And this is this is really just a, another way of saying property rights um, should be enforced, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, th- there was no word for tax in Greek. It was just tribute. And tribute's kind of a generic term that just basically means like like a duty, like something that's owed to someone. But again, I don't think libertarians would say, well, there's not, like there are times when like you do business with someone and you owe them something. Like if I go into a restaurant and I sit down and I order some food and the food comes out and I eat it, and they come to you with a check and I go, well, hold on. You didn't tell me up front that I had to pay. <laughs> like, that's silly. Like, there's an expectation. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you, you know, you don't need signs everywhere to be like, you know, okay, if you go and you do, uh, you know, business with someone, if you consume something that they're providing for you, like, you know, there, there's sort of a, a contract there, even if it's not, you know, signed before you start that, like, you're supposed to pay them for their service. So, you know a good Christian, a good godly person shouldn't be trying to cheat people or swindle people, give them what they're owed. But, you know, maybe you, if you work with Caesar, you owe him, but that wouldn't be something that Jesus would recommend you do because he follows it up with, well, give to God what is God's. So then we have to ask, okay, what is Caesar's and what is God's? Well, the Jewish and Christian idea would be that everything belongs to God, but what really belongs to God, what Jesus is getting at is to give God your worship, to give God your devotion, to say, I will not bow to any other king or any other uh, divine authority other than God. That is what he's, that's the first commandment, right? You shall have no other God other than me. That Mm -hmm. is first and foremost what you owe God. And then you owe to God to follow his moral commands. That means like, do not steal, do not, do not bear false witness, do not, uh, do not murder, okay? Well, the state does all of that, and Caesar was doing all of that, as well as like promoting you know all this debauchery and and degeneracy and and you know all these like you know just truly wicked, evil things that happened you know under the Roman Empire. So, what is what is Caesar owed? Is Caesar owed that which he claims by force? Y- you won't find that in the Bible. In fact, there's you know in that series I did Austrian economics on uh, in the Bible, there there are so many passages throughout the scriptures that basically spell out property rights saying like um, you aren't owed. Like there's even a a great passage. uh, It's the parable of um, the the parable of the vineyard where, where basically Jesus says, you're not even owed what is fair. Jesus says, you're not, you're not owed something from someone just because of this sort of like idea that like, like, well, everyone should get their fair share. What Jesus says is you're only owed what you agree uh, um, can voluntarily negotiate with in the marketplace. So, like, if you agree to get paid uh, like five dollars for something, and then someone else comes along and does the same thing as you did, but they negotiated to get ten dollars, that person doesn't owe you five dollars because right. you were a poor negotiator. So like, that's like the, the parable of the vineyard. So, there's so many examples where Jesus and and the scriptures are talking about like how you know, basically like the, the Austrian view of, of property rights. So Caesar isn't owed what he claims by force. He's only owed that 
which he can uh, negotiate for through a property rights-based system. So that's basically uh, the most condensed summary of that passage I can give. I go into much more detail kind of line by line in that episode that, that I can give you to plug. For sure. And I, I'll put that on the show notes page as well for everyone to, to listen to in full. So there's all these um, overlapping aspects between libertarianism and, and the Bible. Um, there's, you know, you're, you're calling out these different areas where it's just it's purely, you know, you, you could look at it and say, well, did, did, did an Austrian economist write this? So when, when you to be, see to that... Be, to be clear, I'm not saying that, like, the Bible is actually talking about, like, the, using the same terms or, like... Right, right, like, right. Like, like right. the Bible predates Austrian economics. Like, that's more of a... The, the views, the economic views that we find in the Bible are basically the same as what Mises and Rothbard and the Misesian, you know, Austrian school of economics discovered and, and, right. and taught later. The, the, yeah. The, the core of what I'm getting at is, is, is the, the principles in themselves. Yeah. That, that's where the overlap is not in the, how it's described or explained. Um, right. Or even yeah. saying which, which one does it better because I'm, you know, there, I'm, I'm sure there's much better books specifically on Austrian economics um, written that are obviously the Bible is not an Austrian. Oh yeah, like, like yeah, the Bible is not a economic uh, thesis. You know what yeah. I mean? Like mm-hmm. like you can find teachings about economics in it, but it's primarily a religious document about the relationship between man and God and the history of of Jesus mm-hmm. and 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 the apostles and the early church. Um, whereas yeah, the, you go you go get you know um, human action by Mises or uh, choice by by Bob Murphy like. Now, those are very clearly deep dives into the nitty gritty of <laughs> of economic principles. Yeah, a hundred percent. But uh, to get back, like to the principles, I've heard it said before that that really libertarianism is really taking has taken these principles, or not they haven't stolen them, but they've 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 used. There's a lot of the same principles um, that build up the uh, foundation of libertarianism. And I've heard it be said that really libertarianism is Christianity just w- without Jesus. Is that is uh, that yes. something you're you're quoting the, the good old whatever they want to be called, Praxian proposed lib uh uh <laughs> disenfranchised um uh, <laughs> libertarians. Yeah, I've heard this. Um Yeah, what so well, yeah, what's your what's your thought on that? Yeah. Um, I, I tried to have this conversation with a guy named Adam Patrick on my show and I, yeah, I've I tried, I, I've gotten to a little bit of this with Andrew from popular Liberty and I've tried to have Matt Erickson on my show, but, um, he, he doesn't care to, to come on. Although he likes to talk about me on his podcast. Um, so Hey, free publicity, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so listen, I think that I don't want to promote a, like, compartmentalized view of reality like i don't think we should go through life where it's like right now i'm a libertarian and then you take the libertarian hat off and put on up right now i'm a christian and then you go home to your wife and your spouse and go now i'm a father like no you should be an integrated being and so like you know as a christian i'll start there as a christian first and foremost uh at the top of my hierarchy of what i want to see in society and when i'm conversing with with people whether they're friends or family or strangers like i want to see people's lives improved by you know in the same ways my life has been improved by a relationship with 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 jesus christ by uh accepting 
the 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 truth of the gospel message and the hope that's found in there. Um, and I think that people going to church and living out the um, the, the the morals and the values that are found in the Bible is the best way to live a life personally. It's the best way to raise uh, your kids and to have a family. And I think your community is best um, lived out that way. So, you know, that's all nice and good, right? Like, that's what I want. It, I can't make people do that, right? Like, I, I can try. I do my best, you know, evangelize, meet people where they're at. But like, um, you know, Christianity has existed for 2,000 years. And, you know, there's always been people in the world who aren't Christian, <laughs> it, it's it's sort of like you know until uh, uh, until such a time as if there is you know depending on your eschatology if there's some sort of end times or transition to a different age or whatever like you know as long as what we have now more or less continues there are always going to be people who aren't christians so it's like okay a christian value is peace right like we're pro peace we're pro loving our neighbor and loving our enemies and you know, war and trying to use conquest to force Christianity on people um, to me is antithetical to Christianity. And um, I just want to say, doesn't work. Interject what? here. I hundred percent agree with you, but someone listening to this who is not a Christian and will cite examples of, you know, neoconservative warmongers using the Bible as justification. Oh for, yes. Uh, for, for going yes. to war. But and yes, the, the, those Christians are, are, using the Bible and using the religion in vain and twisting things and, and they should be called out. Um, and this is very similar to how, when, you know, there are people who have called themselves and who I think are libertarians and they'll make libertarian arguments for what is essentially authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. Like we've all seen it, whether it's like for, you know, like, like I've seen people who have tried to make libertarian arguments for why America should go, and go to war with Russia in the defense of Ukraine. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, now listen, like, I don't want to judge the people and be like, you know, you're not a real libertarian. Like, I think at heart they are a libertarian, but like, they're, they're massively in this one spot, misunderstanding and misapplying principles. In that same fashion, Christianity could be true or valuable or good, and yet there could be certain people who misapply it inappropriately and mm -hmm. should be called out. So, um, but that, that's a, that is a good point to raise. Um, and I believe me, I spend, uh, I spend much more time punching across the aisle at my fellow Christians than I do punching out at, at atheists or other religions because I believe uh, kind of in the Jordan Peters, uh, Peterson sense, like clean your own room. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, a, you know, get my house in perfect order. I want to get my Christian brothers and sisters, uh, you know, to, to, to stop committing so many errors in the name of God. Um, mm -hmm. So but part of what motivated my podcast. Um, but to get back to the, to the other question. Um, so, so we shouldn't be using Christianity uh, to justify a conquest of the world to make everyone Christian. Not only is that proven not to work, but it's just antithetical to everything Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles did um, not to, I mean, I don't know if this is, maybe offensive to some people, but if there's any religion out there that pre that teaches that it's Islam, not Christianity, as far as like conquest by the sword, Christians have certainly done that in the past, but not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to try to live at, what Romans 12 says word for word is insofar as it depends upon you live at peace with all. Like, okay, what is the best way to promote living at peace among all, including those who aren't Christians? Mm -hmm. Libertarian, 
philosophy and what it says about both political structures and about economics, those principles, which are biblical principles, I would argue, um, but expounding upon those principles in libertarian activism is um, one of the best tools that Christians have for trying to uh, live out that biblical call to live at peace among uh, among all people. I mean, you, you could maybe say that you could be agnostic on political theory and do nothing, and I guess that's fine. But if you're going to be promoting any type of political theory, to me, there's nothing on the table other than libertarianism as far as what you can promote that both is consistent with like a personal application of scripture and then also consistent with like reaching out into the community and trying to uh, have a society in which you can live out those principles consistently. Um, so I understand the concern, like, like mm -hmm. to steel man, the concern that the Praxian post libertarian types have, they don't like people who hyper um, compartmentalize their life and who like, you know, become almost, uh, ideological libertarians and put libertarianism almost above their Christianity. And I think there's a danger there, but that's like, there's, there's a danger with that in anything. And, um, you know, I, I think Christians should be Christians first, but I think that a necessary consequence of consistent reading of scripture and trying to make scripture harmonious with itself and then to follow out the things that scripture tells us to do is, you know, like, we, I mean, there's really not that many options, right? It's like it's either we leave people alone and try to use the marketplace of ideas and persuasion and peaceful activism to bring people to Christ as much as we can, and then leaving people alone, the people who refuse to do that, so long as they're not hurting people, yeah. or we don't, which basically just leaves on the table violence, which is like, well... The minute someone can make an argument that squares using violence to convert people to Christianity or to force Christian uh, values on them with the entirety of Scripture, I'll be impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the the way that I see the the two sides of the the argument and their disagreement or, or whatever it is um, is those who believe that okay, because libertarianism and Christianity are so close, why are we wasting our time with libertarianism and not just talking about Christianity and trying right, to bring right. more people to Jesus, then there's the, the other well, side. Well, the problem is not everyone who follows Jesus follows the correct political philosophy. So we kind of have a fight exactly. on both well, fronts. It's like, yeah, so, you yeah, still so, so need the other the side, and I'm not yeah. saying one is right or wrong. I mean, I'm just kind of framing it for, for the listener here. And, right. uh, you know, may, maybe eventually we'll, we'll, we'll have a debate on this show and I can get Matt or, uh, or Adam to come on and talk to you. Oh, I'd, um, love, I'd, but, love, I'd be completely open to doing that. And I, listen, like I actually, like, I think, more so than a lot of people in like our camps, so to speak. I try to get along with those people. Like I love, I love, I love Pete Quinones. I love, I like Matt, even though he sometimes dodges me. But I, I still, I still like what these people have to say. And I think, in some ways, they're at least more than a lot of people have been. Mostly good faith critics mm -hmm. of like the Mises Caucus and of like libertarian activism. <laughs> um, well, more so than yeah. other people, we've we've you know, gone up against. So it's like, I, I think there's a baby in the bathwater there, but I don't think, you know, one has to just say like, uh, reject libertarianism and just like, it's almost like they, they want to reject thin libertarianism and substitute like a thick Christianity, mm -hmm. which is just like, okay, listen, like I'd love for everyone to be Christian, but like, they're not going to be. And 
There's also a lot of Christians who are deeply confused about economics and political philosophy. So yeah, it, we, we, we have to... <laughs> yeah, there's the potential to, to lead people to Christianity through libertarianism yeah, um, by, by showing uh, you know, how similar the two are. If, if you're yeah. getting someone along that track um, who maybe is, is an atheist and or has, never, you know, has never had any sort of uh, belief in God, and you know, as, as they come to realize, maybe they stumble across your podcast after they you know, become a libertarian and start looking at, at these ideas, and then who knows what can happen. So th- I don't think there's a, there's a right or wrong answer, but I think it is a, it's a very interesting discussion. And I, I really think a lot of this disagreement, especially in this area, when it comes to talking about Christianity between post-libertarians and libertarians, or whatever you want to call it, a, a lot of the problem comes down to, I think there, there's a, a perception of there being more um, anger and uh, sort of animosity due to just Twitter being yeah. the vehicle of communication. Um, yes. If we were just talking to each other, like in person, uh, I don't think any of us would, would think there was like a, you know, a bitter disagreement. Oh yeah. Well, like the whole, like I saw, and, and it was all, even that banter wasn't good fun, but Dave was ribbing them for making like a five hour podcast on if, on if Dave Smith was a friend or a fed, but like as much as there's like, you know, shit talking across the aisle, like that episode, they actually said, no, Dave Smith is cool. And we just disagree with him on, political strategy and, and some stuff which you know, which is fine and to me it's like i actually commend them like go do your thing like division mm-hmm. of labor that's a, a libertarian and a christian idea we want to talk about like what the bible says about like the body of christ and like you know the eyes are not the feet and the hands are not the the, the mouth and like the, you know the, the different parts of the body perform different functions and not one is better than the other and that's basically like the libertarian idea of division of labor almost right there. And like some people are going to focus on like community and building things that will hopefully come like, you know, up that will either directly obsolete the state or if the state becomes irrelevant through some other means, these are things that will hopefully replace the state in their communities and stuff. Um, so that's good. If, if that's where your calling is, go do that. Other people, and like I feel this personally, like I have more of like a, I feel like I could, uh, a more a, a evangelistic calling to kind of go out into the more public arena and to engage people. And whether that's, you know, and I can do both at the same time. Like, you know, you can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. I can always be promoting Christian ideas and values. But then if I kind of like meet somebody and it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, they're not open to Christianity right now. It's like, well, let me at least promote the libertarian or let me at least promote the political order that allows us to continue to have those conversations rather than be pointing guns at each other. Cause yeah. the, the, the pointing guns at each other makes it hard to evangelize. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's a great point. Um, we are out of time though. Before I let you go though, please uh, plug your podcast, let people know where they can find you on social and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, podcast is on uh, YouTube if you want to watch it live. Uh, Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy on there. Um, if you want to listen to the audio version that comes out later, uh, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, just, just search Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, my uh, Twitter handle is at Biblical Anarchy, which is right here on the screen. And uh, my website is daniel318.com if you want to uh, check it, check that out. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I 
appreciate you having me on, John. Uh, a lot of fun. Jacob, thanks for coming on the show. Be sure to check out his podcast, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy, and uh, we'll talk soon. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jacob Daniel, um, a.k.a. Jacob Winograd. Like I've said many times in the past several months, uh, the reason why I changed my format of this show, why I changed the name from Felony Friday to Finding Freedom is because I wanted the opportunity to have conversations like this. I wanted to talk to people about their faith, about their spirituality. And, you know, even better if we can talk about how those ideas tie over into the political realm, into the philosophical realm. So excellent conversation with Jacob today. I'm sure down the road um, I will have him on again, and I would love to host a, uh, a conversation with Jacob and some who might disagree with him on the uh, the post-libertarian side. Okay, so if you're enjoying this show, if you've listened this far, first of all, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a fan. Um, you can share the show. I would appreciate that. But more than anything, what I would appreciate and my fellow Lions would appreciate, if you haven't already, come join us in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Join the growing community. Um, you can do so on Patreon or Locals. Patreon is patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and Locals is lionsofliberty.locals.com. You can listen to our interviews live and watch them. You can watch and listen at the same time, um, either on, on Facebook or we do it through an unlisted YouTube link that we publish out ahead of these interviews. Most of our interviews we do this for, I should say, not all. Um, so you can do that and comment, all that good stuff. Of course, you get access to the other bonus content and bonus shows that we have. Of course, with Brian McWilliams, his long-running show now, Good Morning Bleephead. Um, I'm not going to curse because this will be a clean show. Um, I don't have to click the uh, you know explicit box on Apple Podcasts if I don't curse because we didn't curse up till now, so why do it now? So you definitely want to come join us in the Lions of Liberty Pride if you haven't already, and you definitely want to check out our merchandise. Go to lionsofliberty.store. If you're in the Pride, you get a discount on the merchandise as well. So check it out, and I will leave you with that. Like I've been saying so often recently, at least for me in Western Pennsylvania, this has been such a beautiful, incredible summer to this point, and I hope everyone is getting outside and soaking in the beautiful vitamin D that is just streaming down from the sky for free. So if you can do that, if you're in a rainy area, sucks for you, move somewhere where it's sunny. I probably should do the same when it's bound to get cloudy and cold here, obviously, in the, in the fall and winter. But I won't. So, pot, kettle, black. Anyway, that's the show. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. <laughs>